Cool. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. nine. <laughs> Ten. Oh my god, I fucked that. <laughs> That's fine, we got enough of it. <laughs> well, is that oh. going to actually be helpful? or? Hi everybody, welcome to a... Oh my god, come on Cleo, get your head in the game. <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome to episode 9 of Pronouns in Bio, a very special episode where we're going to be uncovering the secrets the government doesn't want you to know. Uh, with us, we've got Ree and also possibly our highest clout guest ever. <laughs> um, I'd like to welcome my very, very good friend Annie to the show. Hi Annie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I feel like a real fangirl. I'm finally on pronouns and bio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get a lot of applications for the draft. Obviously, we said we were doing conspiracy theories today. Tom Cruise was at the door. You know, he, was, he was absolutely keen to dish the dirt on what, what happened. at the bit. Yeah, he knows what happened to Shelley Miscavige, but we thought, no... <laughs> We've, we've got to get self-identified QAnon whisperer Annie Kelly on the show. <laughs> Tell us a bit about what you do and why you're here. Yeah, my name's Annie Kelly. I did a PhD about digital anti-feminist communities and their sort of connection to kind of the wider sort of far-right, or as it was sort of called at the time, uh, the alt-right network. And then since finishing that, I'm a contributor on the podcast QAnon Anonymous, and I am their British correspondent. So I look at the sort of British side of conspiracy culture, far-right networks, and that sort of thing. Brilliant. Congratulations on finishing the PhD, by the way, Dr. Kelly. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Are you the first doctor we've had on? Yeah. That's so cool. I think so. Wow. Possibly, Yeah. Huge. And just to be clear, that is a real medical doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're actually allowed to stand up on an aeroplane when they ask if anyone needs one. That was like the worst part, really, of, you know, completing your PhD in lockdown is there's nowhere for you to go and sort of announce ostentatiously, <laughs> I'm a doctor, get out yeah. of my way, when <laughs> someone's like collapsing on the floor, clutching their heart. You sort of need to stage medical emergencies at home for the fun of it. <laughs> Reed, tell us a bit about what we're going to talk about today. You might be thinking, listener at home, like, why, why are we talking about conspiracy theories on a ostensibly trans podcast? And they actually are more intertwined than you may think uh, if you haven't made that connection before. There's some absolutely wild transphobic conspiracy theories out there. Some of them, you know, are completely ridiculous uh, and are quite easy to hand wave away for example david ike who if you know anything about conspiracy theories you'll have heard of this guy he's the guy that believes in you know the lizard people running the world he has recently claimed that these lizard people are in turn run by a cabal of transgender people wow yeah so i didn't know that i just <laughs> wanted to put ourselves forward as like we we are those people like this yeah. this podcast <laughs> that is us you are right david but yeah, so like those conspiracy theories are really quite easy to be like, well, that's just patently ridiculous. But actually there are like a lot more kind of insidious ones that form the backbone of like the anti-trans or turf movement. 
that have like taken hold quite quickly. Mm. Yeah, that are, are less easy to identify, I suppose, as a conspiracy. What's wildest about the David Icke one is the idea that we are above the lizard people. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, you guys are the like puppet masters controlling. Yeah. I mean, the, the lizard people are supposedly and like, you know, the royal family and the Vatican and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you, that means you guys literally control the royal family and the Vatican. Yeah. Exactly. You're telling yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's been a tough PR year for certain lizards. I'm not. <laughs> don't want to name any names, but uh, <laughs> let's just say Meghan Markle won't be getting a Christmas card from George this year. <laughs> but like that is a really common a common theme that I think unites all conspiracy theories is that like the authority, whatever that may be, or the all powerful, are there and they're covering something up. Mm. When I was doing a little bit of preliminary research for this episode, I came across a research paper in 2012 called Dead or Alive, which studied people who hold mutually incompatible conspiracy theories. Mm. So the first study, the more participants believed Princess Diana faked her own death, the more they believed she was murdered. And in study two, participants who believed that bin Laden survived the raid on his compound were also more likely to believe that he was already dead before the raid. The researchers kind of concluded that like such mutually incompatible theories about the same topics occur as long as both conclusions agree that the authorities are engaged in a cover up of some kind. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it kind of speaks, I think, a bit to why so many debunking efforts for conspiracy theories although i think you know they're still important materials to have are not actually deprogramming work Mm, you know yeah um they're important kind of facts i think to have for people who are kind of on the fence but actually what a conspiracy theory often i think speaks to is a kind of a lack of trust a kind of emotional need uh for an explanation and i think yeah in those cases I'm just going to jump in right now with a shameless plug for my own podcast, which is uh, called Vaccine, the Human Story, which is about the history of vaccines. And part of the reason I made that was because I felt like simply saying about, you know, the COVID vaccine, you know, no, it's not got a 5G chip in it. No, Mm. it's not going to control your brain or, you know, all of this stuff. Well, it's, you know, obviously worthwhile to have that material out there. wasn't actually going to change many people's minds because it's not really about you know kind of the facts of it but it's more about kind of what people feel and how people feel about vaccines and how Mm. people feel I think more broadly about like the medical establishment you know kind of uh, the sort of uh, scientific authority all of these kind of things and so I sort of thought okay well maybe it's worth making something that speaks to that emotional need to feel like you are part of kind of vaccine story as opposed to it just being something you know foreign and alien Mm. and kind of completely cut off from your own world and something that's just Mm. kind of happening to you right that you don't really have any control over yeah 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 i feel like that kind of dynamic of trust maps quite well onto the idea of conspiracy theories around you know the lgbt agenda but trans Mm. people specifically Mm. you get these slightly older now but you get these conspiracy theories about people like michelle obama for instance Mm, being secretly and lady gaga lady gaga and so on and so forth and often they're tied up with other sets of prejudices around race for instance but they attempts to debunk them end up doing the same kind of like 
wild phrenology as the conspiracy theories themselves do where they take these pictures and you know highlight different parts of a person and say this is a man or this is a woman mm. or something and attempts to debunk them kind of engage on that same logic and actually harden the argument that trans people are masters of disguise mm. and you'll, yeah. you'll say like oh no you know, this is definitely a cis woman and that'll actually just be more evidence that trans people are everywhere there's this incredible phenomenon in the uk there was a survey a couple of years ago that found out that the majority of people in the uk don't think they know a transgender person yeah but when asked about how many transgender people they think they see in public their answer suggested about five times as many as the statistical number of transgender people who live in the uk <laughs> so yeah. nobody thinks that they know one of us but everybody thinks that they're seeing us yeah, yeah, yeah. because mm -hmm. they think they can see us. And I think the one, one of the easiest ways to solve this, one of the things we're always saying on the podcast is to introduce people to transgender people outside of the context of this kind of mm -hmm. argument. And like you say, let them be part of that story. So I think that one thing that's really interesting about the connection that both of you have brought up here with LGBTQ and um, conspiracy theories or conspiracy theories about LGBTQ people um, is something that I often think gets lost in discussion of conspiracy theories and it's something I have to contend with when I talk about conspiracy theories I'll nearly always get a comment you know from someone saying if you don't believe you know everything that the MSM tells you you're necessarily a conspiracy theorist mm. Mm. and I think this is a really interesting mistake that people make which is to assume that conspiracy theories are themselves outside of the culture. They're like exterior to it. And actually, I just don't really think that's true. I think, you know, with nearly every conspiracy theory, you can see kind of examples of mainstream media fanning the flames. In fact, a really good example of this, just to kind of show how long running an idea it is, is that we all think of, you know, JFK as the, you know, the classic conspiracy theory, right? The second shooter. Mm -hmm. But what we don't realize is that actually a lot of mainstream newspapers, including, I think, you know, stuff like the Washington Post, indulged that theory initially. You know, they were writing stuff about, you know, there's possibly a second shooter at large and things like that. Mm. So it's not it's not necessarily that kind of conspiracy theories belong to this lunatic fringe so much as pretty much every kind of group, I think, you know, has some kind of conspiracy theory that they tend to hold to a little more closely. But certainly the biggest ones that I've seen both in history and in kind of contemporary times, are all indulged Absolutely. by a kind of mainstream media, do you know? I mean, okay, let's look at The Times, right? Like, The Times has published over 300 articles this year alone about trans people. That's like two a day, and mm. we're only halfway through 2021. And they're just, they are obsessed with us, right? Mm. And they are pushing and peddling all kinds of nonsense about us. I mean, in 2017... Janice Turner like published an article in the Times titled Children's Sacrifice to Appease Trans Lobby wow. and cited an all-powerful, all-wealthy, totally out-of-control trans lobby. Mm. And that was 2017 when the Times were only publishing like pff, maybe 100 articles a year about us and they've basically just been doubling down on that ever since because people are reading it. Mm. And you've got to think like, you know, if people are reading this stuff, like it's no wonder that they mm. come away thinking that like trans people are simultaneously like everywhere and nowhere mm. <laughs> yeah. and contemptibly weak and incredibly powerful as well right yeah. the language of that headline as well child sacrifice 
draws attention to the fact that we consider when we say conspiracy theory we imagine you know flat earth little green men area 51 mm-hmm. like some kind of lunatic fringe that is impossibly distanced from me and average joe on the street right even in reporting that is i don't know transphobic but not actively conspiratorial there's a sort of gray area between that where it's all consent manufacturing machine go burr yeah 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 you know and i think there's a a really interesting link between transphobic rhetoric and like anti-semitic conspiracy theory like particularly with the the children's blood cult right like that's Mm -hmm. something that trans people are like contending with Mm -hmm. being accused of wanting you know surgically enhancing children and all this kind of blood cult shit that it's literally like centuries old, a yeah. centuries old anti-Semitic like uh, dog whistle. Yeah, it connects a lot with um, when I was researching anti-feminist groups online. One thing I'd find really interesting was how m- frequently they were very anti-Semitic. And I often thought that anti-Semitism and particularly anti-Semitic conspiracy theories were in a way perfect for them to marry the contradictions because in, in one aspect, they're saying all men are like this and they're meant to be tough and manly and alpha and all women are meant to be submissive and domestic and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, the natural order of things. It's how, what makes everyone happiest. Mm. You know, this is um, how things should be. And yet they mm. also have to contend with the fact that that is not how things are, do you know? And they have to contend with the fact that uh, yeah. women who are mm. feminists exist. And, you know, this is very troubling for the worldview that argues that essentially these things are, Mm. you know, what comes to us naturally. In this way, you're then searching for a reason. And fascists who, of course, have share a lot of the same ideology on gender roles, Mm -hmm. have a very neatly packed explanation for them, which is, well, there's a cabal of Jews doing it, you know, a cabal of Jews doing it so they they can destabilize the West Mm -hmm. because they just hate white people so much. In a way... It almost felt as if that anti-Semitism was a trajectory that you could predict, essentially, the minute any community mm. started talking about men should be this way and women should be this way. But, you know, wait, why Why do female feminists exist? Why do, you know, so many yeah people who kind of don't, don't fit into our kind of boxes, like transgender people, or even just um, their kind of idea of you know, the mm-hmm. beta male, men who are just not sufficiently manly enough for them? Mm. Well, it has to have been done deliberately. You know, society's not just lost its way from this perfect mythic past, because that would suggest that the worldview is wrong or like doesn't work perfectly. It has to have been deliberately, actively derailed. As we see over history, the Jews are the perfect scapegoat, essentially, for this kind of thing, because they're, you know, supposedly kind of all powerful, but also incredibly hidden. It's the kind of invisibility so-called that kind of fascists exploit in a sense and that kind of reminds me of you know what you were saying with the understanding of kind of people thinking that they've seen way more trans people than they have because it's the same kind of understanding of yeah jews or trans people Mm. as you know this kind of vilified Mm -hmm. scapegoat that are incredibly deceptive Mm. and can almost walk amongst you Mm. if you're not looking Mm. out for it do you know there's been plenty of turf essays that explicitly link like trans rights to George Soros and like Martine Rothblatt and things like that. Like they're they're saying that it's like the institutionalizing of of trans ideology 
that comes from yeah. like famous rich Jewish people that are kind of operating above the law, above above everybody else. In a way, they're responding to the same necessity, right? Mm. They're responding to the same necessity of kind of uh, ideological contradiction where, you know, this is obviously wrong. It's not natural. It doesn't make people happy. It's not the correct way mm-hmm. for us to be. Well, in that case, you do need to at one point contend with the fact that that is how things are. Do you know that that is how people are finding themselves and expressing themselves and and it seems to make them happy? In which case, yeah, once again, it's almost a necessity to have a conspiracy theory there to say, this is why people are doing what we think they shouldn't. Do you know, it's a kind of brainwashing. It explains away your like discomfort. Yeah. And make, so that you don't have to confront why certain things have made you feel uncomfortable, mm. right? it kind of validates your initial reaction if you have never come across a trans person before and you feel uncomfortable Mm. it like validates that feeling rather than like encouraging you to to look a little bit deeper and and think about like why that is yeah it essentially I think naturalizes Mm. a kind of feeling of sort of disgust or Mm -hmm. uh, repulsion and I think it does kind of come back to I'm, I'm always very against most naturalizing kind of arguments for this reason because I think they nearly do always kind of lend themselves to slightly reactionary explanations. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like the insanely metal implication that the the actual natural order of things is that trans people are like rad and cool. <laughs> <laughs> there is a natural order and it's just that we are strong. Yeah, why, why not? <laughs> yeah. When Ray was talking about like the conspiracy theory that they're performing surgical enhancements on kids, and I was like, it is true that we're not doing it on kids. We sure as hell are surgically enhancing ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the doctor and giving yourself the Wolverine claw. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Like, at the moment, it's just like gender affirming care. And that in and of itself is making us pretty strong because, you know, you look at the reduction in things like suicidality, negative mental health comes, like long-term physical health problems in trans people who receive gender-affirming care. It's just astronomical. It's one of the most, statistically, one of the most positive, easy healthcare wins out there. But the important thing is to know that that is just a step and soon we will be getting, like, cyborg arms. <laughs> yeah. Shit. You know, like, Why you stop get- there? Give yourself wings. Exactly. <laughs> that that is a literal conspiracy theory, you know. Like that is a legit like Jennifer Violet conspiracy theory about like transhumanism. That like ultimately, if we let trans people have their way, we're going to completely like morph the human species Matrix style into like techno globalist future. Put and I'm just like, duet. that sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your point? <laughs> Imagine going in for your top surgery and just sliding a copy of Jupiter Ascending across the desk. (laughs) You know what I want. (laughs) Give me the Channing Tatum. Give me the Channing Tatum. (laughs) Literally every trans mask out there is asking for the Channing Tatum. I think a lot of the trans femmes are as well, to be honest. (laughs) Give me the magic mic. That's that's the future I want is where like gender affirming surgeries are like Californian weed dispensaries. <laughs> like you walk in and some like funky smelling dude is like, "What do you want? I got the magic mic. I got the 
<laughs> I got the Matrix revolutions. <laughs> and this might be a bit of a, an aside, uh, so feel free to cut this in post. But <laughs> I was reading on Twitter this morning that in a couple of states in the US, one of the conditions for being able to change your gender on your like birth certificate or your passport or whatever is that you have to have had transgender surgery mm. but the actual law never actually defined what that was and so there are trans people in some states just going in for like dental work yeah. and then like citing that as the surgery they've had and it and it works like it there's a legal loophole that I allows a transgender that. person who who's had, had who's had surgery yeah, yeah. And, and it works so that's really funny that's really cool <laughs> Yeah, it's almost using the kind of very sort of reactionary kind of responding to media headlines kind of nature of a lot of these laws. Yeah. Um, that they are just kind of fundamentally like, you know, written in such ignorance that you can then exploit it. Mm. Absolutely. They have no idea what any part of transgender healthcare in- entails. Yeah. They just think transgender surgery just covers it, right? Mm. And yeah, it's, it's it was really interesting to read about people kind of using those that ignorance to their advantage. It's also so <laughs> illustrative of the problem of the distinction between sex and gender in trying to do pretty much anything legislative in that, like, you say transgender surgeries, and obviously what they mean is you need to have had, like, a vaginoplasty or a phalloplasty or a mastectomy or something. Mm. But those are just surgeries that transgender people get as part of the wider umbrella of gender-affirming care. But but that also includes things like, I don't know, haircuts. You know, like, like sometimes what affirms your gender identity is going out and getting a sick fade. And then, like... (laughs) Yeah, there there was um, one lawyer who, as soon as you take your first dose of HRT, like argued the case that that counts as like this sort of irreversible transgender operation or irre- irreversible transgender mm. like you know healthcare act. And yeah, like it, it flies because the law hasn't been specific enough and it doesn't know how to be. We all know that guy who I- injected one HRT at a party <laughs> and. <laughs> instantly got the tater (laughs) the next station of the show is called gaze of future past gaze of future past Re, tell us about Gaze of Future Past. Gaze of Future Past is a regular segment on the show where Cleo and I will attempt to convince the other and our guest that a figure, be it historical or fictional or contemporary, was actually gay and or trans. Amazing. Thank you. So this week's... I always say this week's. This isn't a weekly podcast. It's this, not. <laughs> <laughs> this month's Gaze of Future Past is going to be Seto Kaiba voice. A little different. Mm. Do you, can I just check? I was listening back to some old pronouns in bio the other day because I want to do a big audio overhaul. Do you know what I mean when I say Seto Kaiba voice? Because I make that joke a few times. I literally do not know. Right. No, no I don't know. I don't think anyone has ever known. <laughs> but no one has, to- no one has told me. <laughs> I honestly, like, there's plenty of things that you say that I just let fly. Yeah, exactly. It would, it would take too long to just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's too much effort to, to ask. Because if I ask, then I'll get like a 15 minute story that I just don't have time for. Yeah, you really have to pick and choose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> I really wish I hadn't answered. <laughs> For the listeners at home, it's like a Yu-Gi-Oh reference, I think. There's, there's a guy in it who goes, because you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, they're always like, they're playing hearts or whatever but they also get their souls gone to the shadow dimension and there's a guy who announces that their souls will be going to the shadow dimension by being like this game will be a little different and i guess <laughs> okay. i just assumed that was a universal childhood experience i have never watched Yu-Gi-Oh. Well, and i obviously haven't watched you yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> tough crowd cleo and he is the number one anime hater <laughs> somehow watched a negative Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <The> actual... anyway <laughs> Thanks for the explanation. I feel enriched. Well, good, good. <laughs> next time, next time, I'm hoping for a strong laugh. If you're out there and you're a pronouns in bio listener and you're a huge Yu-Gi-Oh fan and would like to come on the show and laugh at my joke, there's <laughs> a line. Honestly, I could really do with a W right now. <laughs> this month's Gates of Future Past is going to be a little different because we were chatting about what we wanted to do for Gaze of Future Past. And the usual strategy is that I will come up with a character and then go on a sort of long and winding path about how they conform to a particular kind of hurtful gay stereotype. (laughs) (laughs) You do do that, it's true. (laughs) This month, imagine my delight when my Gaze of Future Past turned out to already be pre-gayed up for me. So let me tell you a story about the Mothman. The Mothman, he slash him, uh, about nine feet tall, North Virginia, I think, putatively single. Is there a Mrs. Mothman? <laughs> Moth. <laughs> Moth woman, but with like a Y instead of an X. <laughs> Moth women and moth girls. <laughs> Park. No, so Mothman is... I mean, spoiler alert, Mothman... I've, I've seen many representations of Mothman with the non-binary flag, but usually with pretty consistently a he-him. Is there a Mothman-John Wick connection? We don't know. We'll need to really hit the books for that one. Conduct some more research on that one. Exactly. So to give you a sense of the backstory, the Mothman setup is already pretty gay like the babadook is nine foot tall shadowy penchant for drama uh glowing (laughs) red eyes lurks around the north virginia backwards predicting the future disasters the original myth is the mothman was seen around a lot before uh the silver bridge disaster which was a big bridge collapse in north virginia and since has kind of acquired a cult following there was a movie called the mothman chronicles can i sorry can i just interject and yes give one of the funniest anecdotes i've ever heard which is yes absolutely um so our friend leo who you both know told me that when he was a teenager he was really into you know kind of reading up on online conspiracy theories and little funny urban legends like the mothman mm. And he once like laid it all out of his dad, who's kind of a very sort of no-nonsense doctor. (laughs) And he explained the whole thing. And his dad just immediately went, so the guy who was dressing up as a moth died on the bridge. (laughs) 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 
out of the water a bit. <laughs> it blew my mind away as well. I was just like, that's just, <laughs> that's such a kind of just like A to B level thinking on this, which nearly yeah. everyone who is interested in Mothman does just like simply doesn't have. Because <laughs> that's the thing. I had quite a lot of Mothman content prepped, but now I all, it's all kind of ash in my mouth now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, in which case, Mothman may he rest in peace, <laughs> is this moth man who hangs around. Is it around. a man-sized moth or a moth-sized man? Uh, I t- I t- which would you rather fight? <laughs> oh, I think I'd actually rather fight, like, a man-sized moth rather than, like, lots of tiny... Lots of tiny moth-sized men. men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where is our Marvel Studios contract? This is incredible <laughs> content. <laughs> I guess he's like a man with the wings of a moth. Okay. And like okay. glowing red eyes. And okay, yeah. yeah. There was a movie, I couldn't tell you if the movie was gay or not. I watched it, but I think I fell asleep every single time. <laughs> like, um, a, like a moth superhero. Like, yeah. But like X-Files. He's kind of a bit emo. Which okay. is, which, which was, so the thread that led me into this guy is gay was mostly just, he kind of hangs around a bit. He's just got a vibe, you know. I wish that I knew more about my own sexuality and community, <laughs> that I could say something was gay other than he just hangs around a bit, you know. <laughs> that is one of the gayest things you can do. It is. You know sometimes how you've got those friends and they are just hanging around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they do. We do do that. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's Mothman. I was fueled to pick this up by the fact that I went to check on the Mothman Wikipedia to see if there was any interesting tidbits, and this is where the bridge thing has sort of taken the wind out of my sails a bit because the Wikipedia says, <laughs> "quote unquote," Mothman may be real. Oh, yeah. Mm, well, if Wikipedia says it. Exactly. And if Mothman is real and strong. <laughs> and died on the bridge. And then who's driving the car? <laughs> so we were workshopping this segment mm. a few hours ago. And Cleo said, I'm just going to do Mothman. Trans people love Mothman. And I was just like... A, I've never heard of Mothman, and B, are you just saying that because you like Mothman <laughs> rather than trans people like Mothman? And Cleo was like, no, I, I insist, it's a real thing. And I was just like, oh, fine. So I Googled trans Mothman, and I was just flooded with like cutesy fan art of the Mothman holding like trans flags oh, and stuff this. and saying things like, your pronouns are valid. And I was just like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I was like simultaneously heartwarmed and very jaded. <laughs> yeah, so there you go, Cleo. You do know a lot about your community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they I do just wrong. kind of be hanging about. You, you, you hang around a lot, and you all love Mothman. We mm-hmm. all, yeah, we all <laughs> love Mothman. Love flags. Love hanging about. <laughs> Simple as. <laughs> Simple as. <laughs> yeah, like I thought I was going to have to do a deep dive, and imagine my delight when I found out that Mothman has his own entry on the LGBTQIA characters wiki, where he's <laughs> perplexingly drawn as a very unmoth-like anime boy. Um, which is a level of trans bullshit I honestly didn't spend much time on (laughs) like I don't know 
Kawaii Mothman. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Move over, non-binary Joe Biden. There's a new cursed character in town and I hate him. I think we've just found our title. Kawaii Mothman. <laughs> no. It's like you spoke so well for the first 20 minutes of this podcast and so beautifully. And now this... And then I just lobbed that grenade. This in. bad energy. <laughs> No, I'm showing my transphobia and you are really leading me on it. Like, I, <laughs> I personally can't come to terms with the fact that my community finds these perfectly good man-sized moth slash moth-sized men and just animes them up and just animes yeah. them up. Mm. It's a real sore point with me. If that's your thing, I'm sorry. I, you know... <laughs> May a curse be upon you for nine generations, but I, I you know. Uh, I do wish that, like, when we have, like, trans days of visibility or, you know, some, ha- some hashtag days, <laughs> when you go to the hashtag, it is just 80% fairy porn. It is. And I'm always just like, oh, like, you guys. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you know, it's fine. But, like, you know, whatever. Whatever you're into, live your truth for sure. But, like, sometimes I just want to see trans affirmations that aren't, like wolves fucking each other yeah. and it's the context that makes it so much worse like if mm. i were a wolf fucking enthusiast then i would love to go to like wolffucking.com and look at the art because some of it is like really competent art but it's the fact that it'll be like some fucking post like came out to my wife today after 35 years she knows and she loves me we're gonna be okay and then the next four posts are wolffucking.com <laughs> and i can't handle it this is, in a sense, how Mothman represents me as a trans person. Because I am just fucking sick of visibility. Like, <laughs> like Mothman, I crave attention and I love the drama. But also like Mothman, I'm just going to stick it out and stay away from the furry porn. Insta- yeah, stay away from the light. Lurk on some buildings, yeah. <laughs> but you're right, there's a flood of stuff out there. Like, imagine my delight when I discovered that there is a Chuck Tingle Mothman novel in which Mothman <laughs> is trans and a, a quarterback, I think. There's a custom trans Mothman Animal Crossing content. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and so in a sense, I, I didn't actually have to delve that much into my well mm. of curiously insensitive gay stereotypes because it turned out that Mothman <laughs> was already there for the community. And in that sense, I sort of feel like Annie and I have been backed into a bit of a corner here because we can't disagree that Mothman is trans because the community has already spoken. Yeah, Honestly, exactly. I was convinced before Cleo even started talking. <laughs> <laughs> Number one Mothman. <laughs> I, was, I was just completely on board from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> when people talk about good allyship this is what they mean <laughs> Annie Kelly ally of the week <laughs> a listicle that's like five ways you can help the trans community today and every single one of them is believe in Mothman <laughs> cool. so yeah thank you Mothman for doing for the trans community what you couldn't do for the 45 people who died in the Silver River disaster. Oh of which you were one. <laughs> of which, you, of whom you were one. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Okay, let's move on to the next segment, shall we? Okay. <laughs> 
Say the bit. Say say thank you, Mothman. Okay, th- th- thank you, Mothman. <laughs> thank you, Mothman. You thank are. you, Mothman. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Oh, dear. break that Cleo sort of painfully stumbles through you'll be wanting to tune out but I urge you to stay tuned because this month we've had our first ever pronouns in bio brand partnership yeah paid promotion obviously as your star rises in the world people start to take notice (laughs) you know you You've got to get off grinder and on the grind. And <laughs> let's just say there's been some pretty alpha opportunities coming into <laughs> our Insta DMs. And that's why we'd like to talk to you about shave my balls. No, fuck, I got it wrong. <laughs> you got it, got it And that's why I'd like to talk to you about smooth my balls. <laughs> Is it called smooth my balls? It's called smooth my balls. <laughs> smooth my balls reviews. Um, the number one trimmer for balls. It is the number one trimmer for balls. <laughs> no, we legit got an Instagram promotion from Smooth My Balls yeah. who asked us to promote them on the podcast. Yeah, well, they said they'd send us some free gear. They gave us a special link that we can put in. And whenever people buy ball smoothing kit <laughs> um, via our link... We get a little financial bonus. Um, this is what we in the uh, alpha community call passive income. So make a note of that. I would like to also put the disclaimer in that it absolutely is a scam. And it do not do scam. not go and buy yeah. Smooth My Balls products. Like a little cursory look on Trustpilot will tell you everything you need to know. Smoothmyballs.com may be the rare ball-centered MLM. Um, but you know it's only fair that they try and do us out of our hard-earned cash because in fairness we did say that we would happily advertise their ball smoothing product (laughs) without mentioning any of the caveats that might be a problem to us advertising using the product using the ball smoothing product yeah we can't really review it we were kind of (laughs) If any listener with balls would like to come forward and volunteer to try the product and give us a review, please let us know. I just want to say now that I'm replacing all of my social justice gender terminologies in favour of listeners with balls. <laughs> the next time, next time someone <laughs> says like, I don't even know what you'd say that for. Next time someone says men, and I'm just going to be like, mm, listeners with balls. <laughs> Anyway, we would have tried our hardest to test your products, smoothmyballs.com, <laughs> but it turned out you were a scam. But if any other ball smoothing companies would like to get a shout out, yeah. then hit Come us up. Come forward. Yeah, the yeah. competition is fierce, so. It, yeah. <laughs> you better do a good pitch. Yeah. <laughs> we want all the details. <laughs> I mean, I know you. 
you're more experienced in the podcasting sphere than us. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're more experienced in the ball shaving <laughs> well, sphere than us. What are your ball smoothing passives like? <laughs> so you're asking me if I ever got uh, been asked to sponsor have you, anything. Have you had the ball smoothing pitch? Yeah. No, no. In fact, no one has ever asked me to sponsor anything. Wow. Yeah. I guess um. We really just must be on that grind. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've never energy. even got like them DMs that people presumably get on Twitter when they do like a banging tweet and it's like, oh, you know, buy these lights. Sunset lamp. Yeah, yeah. buy this vibrator. I've never even got one of those. I am literally toxic to brands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want anything to they do. They want none of this. They're afraid of the savage dunk you might unleash. Lamau, <laughs> <laughs> this MF trying to get me to smooth my ball. <laughs> if you're concerned that ball smoothing alone won't preserve our income, you can go to patreon.com forward slash pronouncecast or co-fi.com forward slash pronouncecast or ko-fi.com forward slash pronouncecast. I thought I'd mix that one up today. And offer us your own hard-earned ball smoothing income. (laughs) Making this podcast for the listeners with or without balls in the world. The next section of the show, I wanted to pick up on something you said earlier, Annie. Yep. About um, this idea of like deprogramming and how we approach conspiracy theories. Because one of the things that I find all the time with like quite often left leaning, I guess supposedly right minded. That's a confusing way of saying it. (laughs) Left-leaning, large-brain media is a tendency to try and dunk on conspiracy theories um, or fringe beliefs as being stupid or, you know, trying to debunk them in the same kind of, like, facts and logic way that has proven so disastrously disadvantageous for, (laughs) for, for our lot in the first place. And I thought it would be good to talk a bit about how we deal with that, how we approach it, and if we have any experiences of that. No, yeah, you've brought up a real a real pet peeve of mine, so apologies if I just go off for a second. <laughs> but this is probably one of the most annoying things I get when I'm reporting. You know, I will always, always get lots of replies saying, you know, these people are stupid, these people are crazy. Mm. And um, it's just like not true. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's not helpful, obviously, but it's it's actually just not true. Pretty much all of the research that has actually been done on people who believe in conspiracy theories show there's there's no link between intelligence and propensity to believe in it. Apart from some quite interesting, you know, studies which actually suggest that people with higher intelligence might actually be more susceptible to conspiracy mm. theories, which I can which I can believe. Because I think, you know, so much of conspiracy theory or so much of conspiracy theorizing is you trying to knit together these kind of seemingly contradictory pieces of information. And actually, that's something that 
people of what we would like traditionally call like high intelligence, which obviously is like a, not a very useful or easy to measure metric. But it's certainly something that, you know, smart people can do very well, do you know? Um, is kind of yeah um, figure out essentially kind of reasons for why something is not what it appears Mm. you know so that's yeah so that's just like a a pet peeve of mine that I don't really like yeah I think you know when it sort of comes to kind of dunking on kind of conspiracy theorists and stuff like that if you study this stuff or as I've you know spoken to a lot of people who have a relationship with someone you know a parent or a friend or a partner who is you know going down that rabbit hole I'm not really gonna you know sort of wag my finger and say you know you can't laugh at how you 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 can't you know take your laughs where you can you know how like silly some of this stuff seems so I'm not really you know saying like don't do that it's not helpful because I think especially when this stuff permeates into you know your your real life it's only natural to want to kind of you know just sort of you laugh at how silly it is i think there's yeah there's actually a really old jewish joke i think from nazi era germany where a jew kind of walks um up to his jewish friend and he says why are you reading Sturma? that's like a nazi newspaper and his friend says well you know whenever i read the other newspapers it's all bad news about how we're all getting you know rounded up and sent to pogroms and get sent to the ghetto and we can't go here and we can't go there and you know these mass slaughters all over Europe but when I read Disturma it's all good news because I just read about how powerful we are and how we're in control of everything <laughs> and like I think that's like a really very sort of like classic kind of Jewish humor about the the ridiculous nature of being scapegoated by mm, conspiracy yeah. theories and you know I think that impulse for humor is um you know especially when you're the target of it is is just only natural i mean yeah if it isn't then we've got a lot of things to answer for in this podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is our brand (laughs) (laughs) just me sweating being like yeah no it's not funny (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so i think you know um that's fine but in terms of you know what people can actually do to help i've spoken to a lot of people who were formally kind of you know either interested or flirting with or just straight up in alt-right and one thing that I found really compelling about a lot of their stories when they talked about being de-radicalized was nearly always how it came from a relationship of some kind Mm. And, and by that I don't purely mean like a romantic relationship I mean you know like a friendship or something like that and it could happen online you know so I'm not saying people can't be de-radicalized online a few of them you know just got speaking to you know just one person made friends with them and stuff like that and and that really uh changed their way of thinking now i really have to do a caveat here which is that i'm not saying everyone go out and you know (laughs) make friends with your local extremist like (laughs) um that is like you know incredibly dangerous to do and it's not something at all i think that people should just kind of launch themselves into out of a feeling of kind of wanting to make the world better But I think it does actually speak to the fact that a lot of conspiratorial or extremist thinking is often born out of a place of kind of loneliness and alienation, Mm. you know, Mm. you know, and this is why I think the pandemic has been just absolutely so crippling in terms of people who have been getting radicalized because they literally have nowhere else to go, do you know? Um, And I, you know, you see people... Um, so there was there was a, a, a rally in London 
um, just last weekend, I think, which was an anti-lockdown protest. And there was lots of people dunking on them on Twitter saying, you know, lockdown's over. What the hell are these people protesting about? Blah, blah, blah. But it's sort of misunderstood, actually, what their what those people's impetus is. And it's not actually really anything to do with lockdown. Lockdown was a great kind of galvanizer. Um, but it's more about the fact that they, they have nearly all of them been essentially shut up at home and radicalized into believing that COVID is either not real or overblown or and that every kind of like public health measure that has been made has been like a, uh, you know, a sinister kind of call for control. And to an extent, you know, I'm kind of sympathetic to the slightly like libertarian impulse always of being like, you know, you don't tell me what to do. It's not, you know, I don't think it's like necessarily a bad or evil one in itself. But I think it's so much more than that now. Do you know, it's it's not really about lockdown anymore. And it's not really about COVID. It's a kind of central kind of act of sort of, I suppose, like extremism isn't a word I like to use. Um, but it's kind of a, a central kind of cry of... I'd say, yeah, of conspiratorial thought in those protests. And so, yeah, you know, sort of trying to treat them almost as a kind of protest in response to one specific law or something like that is misunderstanding what they're about, which is that nearly all of those people have been essentially radicalised by conspiracy theories over the pandemic. And I, I really understand the impulse of, of not trusting the government. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'd be a lot more suspicious of you if you told me that I trust the government in everything they do and say. Mm. Like that to me would set off my conspiracy alarm bells, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I, I have like a lot of sympathy or empathy for the the kind of conspiratorial, you know, COVID is a hoax mm. or the earth is flat kind of stuff because I think that like they have identified rightly so that like the government can't be trusted and they do lie. It's just they're sort of misdirected. They've landed on the wrong conclusion, right? This is, yeah, another point when I was kind of talking to journalists. And I often try and kind of make the point, you know, that uh, they're not delusional. Do you know? Quite Mm, often they've noticed stuff that the government has said or, Mm. you know, the media has said that just straightforwardly doesn't match up. Do you know? I spoke Mm. to one guy at a protest who said something like, oh, so, you know, this virus is supposedly so deadly that you can't go around to your friend's house, but... Uh, apparently you know you won't be able to catch it when you're eating a meal out you know and I kind of thought well that's actually just responding to unclear public health measures which are exactly yeah like the failures (laughs) of public health England and the government yeah and the fact that the government doesn't want to have to bail out restaurants and businesses for any longer than it absolutely has to right Mm. and he's just responding to that contradiction um And I respond to that contradiction. But yeah, my explanation is the government doesn't want to have to give any more money than it has to. His explanation, which is to a real contradiction, is that the virus isn't real. Do you know? But he's not mad. He's not making that up. He's just noticed something. Do you know? Something that doesn't add up. That is a kind of impulse that I can't like condemn. I can't, you know, say you should just kind of trust your government, trust your media. Do you know? It's good to be skeptical of authority. Um, But I just think, you know, the explanations that they've been given are wrong and dangerous. Mm. I think the the sort of mistrust in authority also goes a bit sideways when you misidentify who that authority is. Mm. That's how trans people get caught in the crossfire and and how Jewish people get caught in the crossfire because they've been like wrongly identified as like the key power players. When the key power players are like right there in front of you, like Mm. you voted for them, you know? It's another case if you correctly identified the axiom, which is that the world is 
shadowily controlled by a handful of rich, powerful people. It just literally is. It's just not in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's just rich capitalists. It's billionaires and shit. Like, they don't, they're not hiding. They're in plain sight. Then that gets, like, fused with this narrative of, you know, I don't know, fear of the other or, mm. or whatever you want to call it. I guess then, like, what can we do to try to identify and avoid that sort of conspiratorial impulse what annie was saying earlier i think was brilliant and particularly when you said about you know putting in that caveat of don't feel like you have to go out and talk to your local Mm. extremist (laughs) is to understand that it's in the same way that it's not stupid people who are uniquely Mm. vulnerable to conspiracy theories or crazy people or or the conspiracy theory belief makes you stupid or crazy it's also not something that happens because you believe in one specific thing or, or, you know, turns like a switch. It happens through like a dynamic variety of processes over a period of time. Mm. Mm. And it is possible to intervene in this process through a relationship you have with a person before they get to the point that they are yes, exactly. your local extremist. And I also mm. think before they get to the point that they, that their beliefs have perhaps alienated them to the point that, any support you give them isn't being reciprocated by anyone else in their social network. Like, I think it's much easier Mm. to bring someone back from the brink than it is to bring someone back who's been cut off by their family or something. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of worth mentioning that, you know, much like cults, many kind of conspiracy theorists actually, you know, they want people to alienate their families, you know? It's good for them. Mm. It's good for that community if they are cut off from you know, their kind of usual support network. And this can often sort of play out in someone who's kind of being radicalized, you know, suddenly coming out with things that are kind of hurtful, you know, and they won't understand that. They, they're they kind of repeating what they've heard and they don't really understand that it's like almost designed to mm. push people yeah. away. Yeah, It's designed to have that slightly kind of like repulsive kind of impact where you're sort of just a bit like, whoa, mm. do you know, I don't want to talk to you. And yeah, obviously that's a sort of decision that everyone kind of has to make. But I think, you know, if it's if, when it's a, a loved one, mm. it's not easy, you know, it's not easy to stay involved and it's not easy to stay talking to them. But, you know, if that's a sacrifice that, you know, you kind of want to make, um, then I think it is a necessary one. Absolutely. Keep the door open. It's funny you talk about this alienation being encoded into the way that these conspiracies are distributed there was a similar thing that I noticed, and this is a couple of years ago now, so I'm sure there are much more up-to-date, much more formal studies. When I was spending a lot of time looking at how transphobia was spreading on Mumsnet, and particularly at how young people questioning their gender, I guess particularly young, you know, transmasculine and non-binary people who they perceived as young women were inducted into these groups and partially and I think this is sort of more well known fed a sort of you know you're being alienated away from your lesbian identity and it's Mm. transgender people and it's men who are doing this but also encoded in that Mm. was a lot of more conventionally reactionary stuff about not being able to trust your family or your doctor which is Mm. particularly pernicious in the case of trans people who already often have good reasons not to trust their families or their doctors but because Mm. it had the same isolating effect 
on these young people, regardless of what their support status at home was? Yeah, yeah. There was recently, I think last week, one of the like British pollsters, or I can't remember which one it was called, which, uh, which pollster it was in particular, but they surveyed groups of young people under 24, mm. I think, and compared them to like 2018. And there's like more people than ever identifying as lesbian and gay. There's been like a 0.3 or 0.4% increase nationally. And it's just like, you know, trans people are not like you know lesbians are not disappearing right like more people than ever (laughs) more people than ever identifying is that like where's your proof that trans people are erasing lesbians like it's clearly not happening and none of the data supports it like yeah 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 (laughs) we're actually making more of them (laughs) yeah it's it's really interesting it almost like it's the exact inverse to um the point that cleo made about seeing more trans Mm. people than there are not only are you like seeing more trans people than there are, you're seeing less mm-hmm. lesbians mm-hmm. than there are. And you know, I, I was reading the other day about some boring history shit that I won't bore you with. <laughs> but basically, one of the one of the principles <laughs> underlying a lot of colonialism, full stop, in like the 16th and 17th centuries, and then the internecine wars that followed colonization of North and South America, was this philosophical belief called mercantilism which I guess where modern capitalism, which obviously has its own sets of problems, presumes the continuous growth of a market. Mercantilism presumes that there was a fixed market and that you having more meant that someone else had to have less. And so you've got England constantly taking from France, who are constantly taking from Spain, who are constantly taking from Scotland. Mm. And it feels like that, like this belief that there is a fixed number of gay people. Yeah, yeah. Like it can't, it can't go up, it can't go down, it's going to stay the same. And if you get more transgender people, it's going to have to come out of the lesbians. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's a fixed pool. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, obviously we on Pronouns in Bio do maintain a hierarchical ranking of which sexualities and gender <laughs> identities are best. Uh, <laughs> which ones we'd like to, like to see more of. Um... <laughs> Pansexuals, I'm sorry, but it's not good news. But, um... That's Cleo's opinion, not mine. <laughs> please, please do not reflect the opinions of my employer. <laughs> Give us a boost on the Patreon and we'll release the official pronouns in biosexuality. <laughs> They're secret, hidden sexualities yeah. that they don't want you to know yeah. about. They say... <laughs> We're not stealing from the lesbians, but we are stealing from someone, and you'll be surprised when you find out. (laughs) (laughs) Number five may shock you. a regular segment that we do called ally of the week where we tend to set some time aside for some you know some good trans allies of the world and, and give them their dues but actually i just think that this month that we should do actual trans person of the week that's relevant to this particular topic mm-hmm. so my actual trans person of the week is chelsea manning Tell us a bit about why you've picked Chelsea Manning over all of the deserving <laughs> allies who could have had a slot on this show. Chelsea Manning, if you have not heard of her, she, in the what's the early 10s, she was working as a soldier in the US Army 
and she disclosed a bunch of army files and documents like thousands and thousands to the wikileaks guy julian assange mm. uh, and within these documents it kind of exposed the u.s military for committing like actual war crimes in iraq and afghanistan during the war and yeah she was in prison for it but i just think that she is an actual trans person that came to the world and said hey there has actually been a wide-scale cover-up of war crimes and here is all the proof um and here we are 10 years later with people saying so what you meant to say was trans people are mm. actually behind all of this <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's what's like always astonished me about the coverage of chelsea manning mm. and i i often wonder about like what the world would look like if chelsea manning was cis because you wouldn't be able to do so much coverage on her being transgender mm. would that then have led to more coverage of the leaks themselves i mean not that the leaks didn't get coverage they were huge Mm. But, you know, it became this, the two facts that these operations have been uncovered and that this person is transgender became inseparably mm. intertangled. It was often like a point of discreditation towards her mm. that she was trans. But yeah, no, like actual great trans person of the week is Chelsea Manning. Mm. So She's now been released from prison and she is very online and very funny. So I recommend following her as well. Mm. I don't have much more to say on that. It's quite a brief one. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just trying to think if I know any whistleblowers who aren't trans. And I think mm. that rather than um, showcasing my poor knowledge of whistleblowers and the terrible impact that 10 years of party girl attitude have had on my brain, <laughs> uh, it actually testifies to the fact that all whistleblowers probably are transgender. Mm, yeah. Edward Snowden, if you're listening. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, Edward. Yeah. We accept you. <laughs> you joke. I thought Edward Snowden was trans. He lives in Russia. <laughs> That's true. I'm just going to Google Edward Snowden trans and see what comes up. Oh, don't. Kawaii we... Edward Snowden. <laughs> Kawaii <laughs> Edward, Edward Snowden. Snowden. You're just going to get instantly radicalized by whatever beam comes out when you Google that phrase. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's just articles kind of pointing out that Snowden tends to get a lot more support while Chelsea Manning gets less. Mm. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? He is just kind of hanging around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get what you mean. He's he hanging wouldn't... around and he loves drama. He loves drama. <laughs> <laughs> the king of drama. <laughs> Edward Snowden confirmed Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> When I was reading the wiki, there was a Mothman appearance in Russia as well that anticipated some apartment mm. bombings. Are you about to create a, an actual like conspiracy theory on this <laughs> podcast that Edward Snowden is Mothman and he bombed Russia? That's why he's there. And he's a proud trans man. <laughs> and he's a proud trans man. Yeah. I thought that was implied when I said he was Mothman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first, guys. You heard it here first. I'm already posting on WikiLeaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Genuinely, thank you, Chelsea Manning, mm -hmm. for being our actual trans person of the week. And a slightly lesser thank you to Edward Snowden um, for not being trans and to Mothman for only maybe being real. <laughs>
wrap up with a little bit of fun because talking about radicalization and particularly when it can be targeted against ourselves, the listeners without balls in this question, can be pretty harrowing. Hmm. So we thought we'd make this a bit more of a human experience by talking about the conspiracy theories that we believe in. Mm -hmm. I can go first if you like, although I don't actually know if mine is a conspiracy theory. Go for it. It's more of just like a deeply held belief, and I don't even think it's a controversial one. But mine is ghosts. Mm. I think a conspiracy theory would like require someone to be covering it up. So is someone covering up the existence of ghosts? So I think it's a soft one because I think that the obviousness of ghosts Mm. is being covered up. I just think it's really obvious that ghosts are real. Mm. Mm. I think it's like a big psyop. The fact that like most people don't believe they're real. Well, that's the thing. There must be. I even think most people believe they're real, but people don't talk about it and talking about it it. is still weird. Exactly. (laughs) Hollywood is definitely involved. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like we have all of these. They make ghosts look bad. They make ghosts look bad, and they have all of these movies where belief in ghosts correlates to like bad outcomes. Uh, Yeah, I just think they've been confined to the realm of fiction by a prevailing media climate, and that we need to destigmatize casually saying ghosts are real okay I'll, I'll let you have that one yeah we'll, we'll count that as a i don't think it's technically theory. a conspiracy yeah. theory but i think that there is suppression of ghost belief there's something there if you're listening to this and you're a ghost then pronouns and bio <laughs> believes in you you are valid <laughs> you are valid <laughs> it's just, it just like if you think about the two situations ghosts are real and ghosts are not real if there aren't ghosts then why does all the ghost stuff happen? And where are all the spirits going? Mm. I mean, obviously heaven and hell and stuff, but like, <laughs> it feels silly that, that that's the only options. No, I mean, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to this. Um, as I've yeah. told you both many times, a big motivator for me staying a Roman Catholic is so that I always have the opportunity to have the house exercised if I need it to be. But that's the other thing. There's the idea of Pascal's wager and theology which is that like even if you aren't convinced by the logical proofs for the existence of god and if you're someone out there who cares about the logical proofs for the existence of god get a life (laughs) (laughs) it's still because of the prospect of redemption it still makes more sense to believe in god yeah and you've got the obverse for ghosts (laughs) like if there is a chance that there is a ghost in your house yeah do you want to be prepared for it like exactly no I, i totally agree yeah. Do you think the ghost is going to care about your logic? Like, exactly. <laughs> and if the government just published a single ghost advisory, <laughs> then people would be able to prepare themselves for this. It could be opt-in. It doesn't have to be like a mask mandate. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that they're leaving the public at risk. I remembered while I was saying this that obviously I have a conspiracy theory and it's that showers are a psyop. But I've actually talked about this on the podcast multiple times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you guys? All right. So my conspiracy theory is, and I apologize to both of you because you've heard me rant about this so many times. <laughs> you know how in nature documentaries, there's like the big hitter animals. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, the leopards really lovely to look at. Some nice colorful mm-hmm. birds. Everyone loves them. But there's always Mm. so many whales. And whales just like do not share any of this. Like they're not nice to look at. They're very ugly (laughs) creatures. 
But one thing we do know about whales is they're very smart. Mm. So I suspect that whales are holding a malign influence over the media to necessitate <laughs> more coverage of themselves than other more deserving animals. <laughs> and I'm like, it, I'm just sick of it, really. Like I saw just like The Economist, The Bloody Economist yesterday, publishing a piece about how you know, more whales are having sex. So now there's more whales in the world and then they're reaching pre-whaling numbers or something. And I was just a bit like, well, good for them. But like, you know, you're the economist. You're a serious paper. Like, who's behind this? Why are you writing about this? Yeah. yeah what's your agenda? Yeah. I mean, you know, lots of people have kids and you don't see them getting a <laughs> getting a newspaper headline. So, And most babies are cute, but whale babies. They're, they're ugly. Cute. They're horrible. So <laughs> it all just seems a bit sus to me. I'm not saying that, you know, there's a shadowy cabal of whales who control the media, <laughs> although it wouldn't surprise me, frankly. So it goes lizard people and above that is transgender people and above that is whales. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> people are always saying we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the bottom of the sea. Mm. We're so close to getting it. Maybe it suits whales that we don't know. Exactly. They're all down there on laptops tapping away little media headlines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you are an economist and a whale has reached out to you, um, then we, we can offer you whistleblowing. Uh, we can offer you anonymity and protection. Yeah. <laughs> also, congratulations on cracking your egg. <laughs> For the record, I'm very on board with the whale theory. I too think they just get far too much attention. Yeah, they just, what have they ever done to deserve it? Ree, what's okay. yours? Okay, so my conspiracy theory that I didn't come up with, I do believe in, and it does give me hope in my heart, is a conspiracy theory that was fronted by a Norwegian film director called Nina Grunfeld in 2017 where Nina put forward the theory that JK Rowling doesn't exist what wow. yeah you can google it it's legit and how the, so the, the reason that she cites is and I quote Nina how is it possible that a person can write six thick books that are translated into 55 languages and sell more than 250 million copies in less than 10 years. And despite the fact, that's the end of the quote, despite the fact that Nina seems to have forgotten the printing press was invented 500 years ago, <laughs> I really think she's onto something. <laughs> yeah. It just simply can't be done. It is simply, the maths don't add up. <laughs> I'm trying to think if any human has ever done it, because, you know, George R.R. R. Martin, he's still knocking up that last one. Right, it's taken him longer than 10 years, right? Yeah. Exactly. But how how did J.K. Rowling translate all of those books by hand and hand print all those copies mm. in that amount of time? I'm just imagining it now. Let's say there's at least a hundred words in each Harry Potter book. <laughs> if you sat down and wrote those words out end to end for ten years, it does mm. seem it seems preposterous. You would get that many it's, books. I'm fully behind Nina's theory, and I, I am choosing to believe that J.K. Rowling doesn't exist, and I have muted her on Twitter four reasons specifically related to this and nothing else yeah and in fact i would say that the burden of proof is on people who do believe jk rowling exists to prove that right that's why she's got those massive hedges around her property that cause <laughs> yeah. those car accidents there's yeah. nothing inside 
Do you think there's some overlap between hollow rowling theory and, uh, <laughs> and deep whale theory? <laughs> what, the whales wrote the Harry Potter books? Yeah. <laughs> nah, they're such attention seekers, they would have included way more whale content. Than <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a single whale in those series. <laughs> The human editors, like, have got a day to go into press and it's all like, Harry flexed his majestic fins. <laughs> <laughs> he slapped his tail. <laughs> I think it makes perfect sense. I can't think of anyone else who's written those, that many books. Why would anyone even want to? She's not real and you can just ignore her. Yeah. <laughs> Pronouns and bio official statement. <laughs> Whatever the opposite <laughs> of a mothman is, that's JK Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> time for is there anything else you wanted to add annie well i guess i should say yeah my podcast which i shamelessly plugged which is about the history of vaccines is coming out really soon and you can find it on youtube and you can follow me on twitter at either annie knk or vaccine podcast um and also i do uh british reporting for q anonymous so if you liked hearing me kind of ramble on incoherently about conspiracy <laughs> theories and generally what I reckon about it all you can uh, <laughs> fear not you can do that in many other places thank you so much and also as it's pride month coming up next month we'd just like to say that if you are tired giving away your hard-earned transgender bucks to podcasts and would like to feed them back into the machine then there are trans pride events being held online and in person all over the country just look for your local one but almost none of them have any public funding so consider giving them a donation they have done amazing work creating spaces for trans people in london in brighton in leeds and across the uk during the pandemic and beyond and could really use your support well, Annie, thank you so much for coming on today and thank you for speaking so eloquently. Thank you, Annie. Thank you so much for having me on. And to the listeners at home, remember, the 5G can't get you if you put the pronouns in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> put the pronouns in the bio. Put the pronouns in the bio, baby. It's a talisman <laughs> against 5G. <laughs> this, is, this is well known. <laughs>